Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for 2-22-09. And uh, we're going to be starting a new part here just on some current events that are are out there, um, kind of segueing into different ones, uh, some, co- some subjects that I wanted to cover here. This is from um, Battle Cry from Chick Publications, September, October of 2008 page 12, and it says, Few believe that Jesus is the only way. A study recently released by the Pew Forum illustrates how big our job is as soul winners. First, it showed that 57% of, quote, evangelical church members believe that many religions can lead to heaven. 57%. Boy, the pastors are doing their job good. To show how widely this view is held, 83% of mainline Protestants, 79% of Roman Catholics, and 82% of Jews and 56% of Muslims agreed. Then he goes on to say, We must keep firmly in mind Christ's statement in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. When 57% of evangelicals and 83% of Protestants deny this scripture, We know ignorance of the Bible is rampant. This also tells us why the average Christian never witnesses. Few have the conviction that that is the only way unbelievers can escape hell is by making Jesus their Savior. We know that not everyone will respond to the gospel, but we need to give everyone we meet a chance to make that choice. It is impossible to hold a lengthy discussion about eternal destiny with everyone we meet, but it only takes a few seconds to give someone a track. And I, I like Chick Tracks personally. I think they're the best. Um, thousands of people over the years have written to Chick Publications about how a track changed their lives. Someone, sometimes they got a track from a friend or a stranger found it in a bathroom or break room at work or even in the dirt in the wilderness. But in every case, a Bible believer cared enough to pass out the track or plant it somewhere they could find it. Now, some cool places you can use tracks. Um, if you if you are at a restaurant, you can leave one as the tip. Just make sure you leave a decent tip. Okay, don't leave like a penny tip in a track. <laughs> That's not going to work good. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, then another thing you can do is at gas stations, they've got little slots in the gas pump. You can find them. You slip a track in there, fold it back, people will see it. They have the choice then to either take the track or not to take it. Which I like that because it's like, it's a free gift. Here. You want to freely receive it or freely reject it. Now, I used to see these tracks a lot more. I don't see them at all anymore when I go out. I don't see any now. Now, I'm not saying that makes me Mr. Wonderful, but I don't, it's really weird. I don't see any anymore when I go out. I mean, it's, they're like non-existent. Um, I like chick tracks the best, personally. And they are the most expensive, too. And, and But, you know, then again... You can't really put a price on a soul, can you? And you never know the ramifications of that one track, what it may have. I remember the first time I ever saw Chick Tracks. I read, you can order like the whole assortment, like every track they make, or most of the ones that are in print now, and it comes in this box. And I read that whole box. It took me, I don't know, a couple days probably. I kind of, two or three days between, you know, what I was doing. And um, I'll tell you what. You'll get fired up if you read a box of those those chick tracks. They really will fire you up spiritually. A lot of scripture. 
King James Scripture. Now, I don't agree with every single tenet of every single thing that is said. I don't like how they portray angels in chick tracks. They portray them as men with wings. I don't see any biblical precedent for that. The only winged angelic beings were cherubim and seraphim. Men, angels, always appeared as handsome men in the Bible. Not men with wings. Didn't happen. Okay? Um, I've done a whole study on angels with wings. You can keyword search that. There's a subject that you think that maybe I've talked about or want to know more about. Just go to my homepage on Sermon Audio, and you can get to the homepage. If you're on any teaching, you can just click on the home, and it'll take you there. Go into the search box. It's lower to the right. Type in a word or part of the word that you're looking for, like in this case it would be angels. And I'll every place where I've talked about that, it'll come up. Now, I have over 260 teachings up there now, so I've got pretty broad... I've covered a lot of bases. There's a lot more I'd like to cover, but... Um, you can do that and um, find out more about the angels. That's a very short study, too. So, anyway, that was just something I wanted to kind of uh, cover there. So, let's go... This next article is Failed Jehovah Witness Prophecies Are Good Witnessing Points. And I totally agree with this. Uh, this is by Daniel Rodriguez. Failed prophecies of the Watchtower Society are valuable witnessing points when dealing with Jehovah Witnesses. As I pointed out in my wit recent book, Winning the Witnesses, this is a book you can get on how to respond to Jehovah Witnesses. Now, if you go up to Chick Publications, it's like chick.com, they've got all types of resources, how you deal with different and various cults. They got a lot on Catholics. They got a lot you can read right online. Okay, a lot of it you don't even have to get a book. You can read articles right online, or part, or whole books right online, or even print them out. And they've got books on dealing with Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Muslims, witches, uh, Wicca, Catholics, a lot on Catholics, and probably some of the best resources I could recommend. So chick.com, go up there. You go on the left-hand side, and you can see they've got a search box. You can search for things. They'll, they'll give you all kind of resources. And you can even request a catalog, and they'll send you a catalog for free, and, and uh, that'll um, it'll give you everything in one uh, thing there. So, as I pointed out in my recent book, Winning the Witnesses, Planting Seeds of Doubt in the Watchtower is a most effective strategy. They are taught a blind trust in this organization and its interpretation of the Bible. Before you can lead them to trust the inspired Bible alone, you have to destroy their confidence in an uninspired organization. Amen. It's a cult. And it's under a Christian veneer. And that's why I despise that religion. I don't despise the people. I despise the religion itself. Because it's un they're using this Christian veneer. Their New World Order translation... <laughs> It's actually a New World Translation. should be New World Order Translation. From that 1881 revised version of the two high-level occultists, Westcott and Hort, that I mentioned earlier in the previous teaching. That's their translation. And let me tell you something. Don't underestimate a Jehovah Witness. Don't. Because a lot of them are incredibly versed in their Bible. And if you let them, they will take you and they will try to make you doubt your faith 
and twist scripture and go to these obscure passages in their twisted Bible, their corrupted Bible, and sow seeds of doubt in your mind. It's a war you're in when you deal with one of these people. Going further, there are many failed prophecies of the Watchtower Society. One outstanding failure is in 1975. It caused a lot of anguish and cost them many followers. In 1966, the Watchtower published <clears throat> Life Everlasting in the Freedom of the Sons of God. Oh, doesn't that sound biblical, you know? On page 29, the book plainly stated that 1975 would be the end of the 6,000 years of mankind's existence on earth. <laughs> well, I guess they didn't get that right. Now, I've done a whole teaching on Jehovah Witnesses. You can, you can key that in. This is just a little addendum, a little more of a current event thing. From 1966 to 1974, the Watchtower consistently taught that the end was near. In March 1968, edition of Our Kingdom Ministries, the Watchtower stated that Armageddon would begin in 90 months. They quoted excerpts who stated that the nation's gathering nuclear stockpiles would be out of control by 1975 and civil unrest would be the order of the day. The witnesses believed that they were getting out just in time to avoid the chaos. Thousands of witnesses sold their homes, property, quit their jobs, quit schools, even sold their businesses in preparation for the end. But what was the Watchtower Society doing during 1975? That's the same year they bought and began... Let's see here. Remodeling an expensive property in New York City. Now, I prove in the teaching that I did on the Jehovah Witnesses that all of these cult leaders, Charles Taz Russell of the Jehovah Witnesses, high, high, high level Illuminati occultists, he was put there by the Illuminati to start a cult to take people to hell. Proving. I mean... Without a shadow of a doubt proving this. Mormons the same way. Joseph Smith, high-level occultist. Freemason. Stole a lot of the, the, um, the, the tricks and magic from the Freemasons. Probably a big reason that he was killed by fellow Freemasons when he died. So, these are, these are all things that can be proven. Satan prepositions his men and particularly loves to preposition them in cults that have a Christian veneer to suck people into their cult organizations and use them to do Satan's bidding. Whenever I see those Mormon guys riding around on their little bikes or whatever in their little dress shirts, all I can think is that they're bent on doing Satan's work. That's what they're doing. That's all they're doing. Doesn't mean I'm saying going on hating them, okay? Yes, I want them to get saved, but unfortunately what they're doing is trying to lead as many people to the pit of hell. Understandably, they're not exactly aware of what they're doing, I know, and most of them aren't. Some of them may be. But most of them are not aware of this, obviously. But, just, what, I've dealt with these before, and this is exactly the same approach I've taken. If I deal with a Jehovah Witness, um... You know, the Watchtower magazine and these types of things. The one lady that I dealt with, I, I said, um, the magazine that comes out every month regarding the Watchtower said that according to the Jehovah Witness uh, writings, these these publications are, are angelically inspired. The writings in them. And she agreed. I said, well, if that's the case, why in the world did they predict the end of the world, you know, 
this state, this state, this state, and they all didn't come to pass. If if this was of God, why didn't this come to pass? And then she started getting really angry. What was that? It was a demon. It was the demon that was possessing this woman and influencing her decision making, getting mad because she knew, this demon knew it had no answer for that. stormed out of my office. Well, you know, hey, that's that's going to happen. Going further, although the Watchtower taught that in 1975 would be the end, they blamed their followers for the failed prophecy. <laughs> so, they blamed their followers for the failed prophecy. How pathetic is that? The June... 22nd, 1995, Awake Magazine states that the wrong conclusions were due to a fervent desire to realize the fulfillment of God's promises in their own time. That's a quote. This The spin was bad prophecy, but they had good motives, intentions. But the Bible says in Proverbs 14.12, is there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Uh, but this was not it at all. The 1982 Watchtower was still selling. In 1982, the Watchtower was still selling the 1975 yearbook of the Jehovah Witnesses, which taught that 1975 was the end. That's pretty nutty. Finally, the Watchtower Society admitted in March 20, March 22, 1993, in a Wake magazine, that the writings in the Watchtower were not inspired and infallible and without mistakes. But see, up until that point, they had admitted that. But it, I guess it's okay to backpedal on all this. Imagine the financial ruin of those who sold their homes, property, because of these uninspired prophecies. Now imagine losing everything and then being blamed for failed prophecies. Oh, they can't take the blame. They're above that. These, these high-level occultists, Illuminati figures are above all of that. Actually, I, I bet you they, they get a good chuckle out of it, deep down. The people at the top of these religions know what they're doing. They're at the top of the food chain. They know. But they would never admit that. So, now imagine losing everything and being blamed for the failed prophecies. But, I would say more importantly, imagine all the people that are going to go to hell who follow this cult. Imagine all that. That's very sobering. One of the most successful keys in witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses is using issues like this to prove that the Watchtower is not inspired of God. The technique is laid out in detail in Winning the Witnesses. That's the book. Available from Chick Publications. So again, there's a lot of resources out there. What I try to do is act as a liaison for putting people in touch with the right material. I don't have time to author this stuff. Most of the time, the work's already been done for me. I'm just trying to help as many people as I can. I'm trying to point as many people to righteousness as possible, as a liaison and as a watchman. That's all I'm trying to do. Um, I just see a need for it, and, and, and a lot of times there's good information out there, but people aren't aware it's there. Well, okay, let's point them in the right direction. I don't have to be the author. I don't need all those accolades or whatever. It doesn't matter. What matters is, are you trying to point people to righteousness and, and get them moving in the right direction? 
Um, I mean, we've all been deceived at one point in our lives, and, and we just try to help each other out as the body of Christ. So, let's go to the next article here. Okay, so the next little article they have is, Can You Trust Your Bible? When someone says to you the Bible is just a bunch of legends put together decades or centuries later, he's not aware of the facts. Archaeologists in the Holy Land are continually digging up proof of the accuracy of the Bible history. Each new civilization adds a layer on top of the ruins of the last. Pottery, coins, signet seals lace each together and they match the periods of biblical history. Recent finds include two small seals found in the lair of the time Solomon's temple. Inscriptions on the seals name men mentioned in the Bible at that time. One is Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, and the other is Jukal, son of Shelemia. Both mentioned in Jeremiah 38. These are just small examples of the thousands of items that have been found in the layers of history in the Holy Land. Another seal is found, is thought to be the Queen uh, Jezebel in 1 Kings 16. 12,000 pieces of intricately carved ivory came from a layer of the time of Ahab in 1 Kings 22, which speaks of him building an ivory house. Typing biblical archaeology into Google leads to a huge amount of proof that the history of the Bible is beyond question. No other ancient story has anywhere near the historical record that the Bible does. The other accusation against the Bible is that it has been changed over the centuries so that we cannot really trust what we have to really be God's inspired words. Proof that this is not true lies in over a million pages of old Bibles available in museums around the globe. Officials agree that none of these manuscripts contain anything significantly contradictory to the Bible as we have it today. Yet, there's such a gigantic attack against the Word of God and against Jesus Christ, and I've done so many teachings relating to this, I can't even, wouldn't even tell, know to where to begin. So many attacks. Well, if you were Satan, and you were trying to destroy the faith of many prior to the emergence of any Christ, you'd probably be doing the same exact thing. Shouldn't be any surprise to us. I still think we should fight it until the bitter end. Uh, as salt and light, reproving the unfruitful works of darkness, trying to help other people so that they don't get swept up into this deception and lies and errors. Because ultimately, if they do, it's going to destroy their faith. God preserved the Old Testament by placing an awe in the hearts of the scribes who made copies down through the centuries. The system was so tight that even if one letter was left out of a copy, they would know it. They counted the numbers of the words and even the letters in each book, and they would discard a copy if the numbers did not match up. Now that is detail-oriented. The New Testament history is somewhat different. Author Daniel or David W. Daniels kind of a tongue twister, describes two streams of manuscripts that originated in Jerusalem when the apostles wrote the first copies. His book, Did the Catholics Give Us the Bible, shows us how one stream flowed north through Antioch into Europe, accumulating in the King James Version, that set the standard for the English language in the next 300 years. The other stream flows through Alexandria, Egypt. Okay, now this other stream really didn't originate in Jerusalem. Okay, Remember, Antioch is the first place they were called Christians in the Bible. 
Antioch is also where the, the correct stream of Bible, which ultimately came through the King James Version, emanated. Remember, the devil has his counterfeits, as always, and then God has his true word. Okay, so again, we've got two streams. The, this corrupt stream flows through Alexandria, Egypt, where learned scholars of the day took liberties with the text to include their own philosophical and theological slant. Only a few of these manuscripts that we have today came from Alexandria. They are full of omissions, contradictions, and corrections. It was so bad when Westcott and Hort, the two high-level occultists, were translating this that ultimately end, ended up in the revised version of 1881. It was so bad that when they, they these two manuscripts that they had, the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus, which were two Catholic, corrupt Catholic manuscripts that they found, and they were commissioned to do this translation by the, well, these manuscripts were so corrupt that where they contradicted, which was in hundreds if not thousands of places, the rule of thumb was that, okay, whenever the Sinaiticus contradicts the Vaticanus, we'll just use the Vaticanus. Oh, that's really scholarly there. That's how they that's how they came up with the revised version. Now, understand if you have an NIV or a Living Translation or American Standard or a New World Translation or whatever, then you have that Bible. You have the revised version. It spawned from that. The revised version was the mother of the version that you have. The Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy words are settled in heaven. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The word of God's our foundation. If it's been destroyed and leavened and corrupted, do you think it might affect you when you read it? you think it might affect your level of faith? you think it might be a reason why there seems to be no faith? Why so many people are so far off track biblically? All, all the stuff we just purported on the apostate church. The 501c3 church. These are things that should be obvious, but they're not obvious. Maybe it's because faith has been so corrupted and so affected by such a leaven word of God that there's not a lot of faith left in this world. Just something to think about. If we go further, it says, yet these... These are the modern, these are the manuscripts used for the basis of the modern day Bible versions. Now, before I say anything else too, I'm just touching on this subject. I've done, I don't know how many studies on this King James issue. Just key in King James in the keyword search box on my homepage and look at the PDF. Okay, look at the PDF with that. Cause I give you all, I give you these two streams. You can look at how they both came down. I'll give you a chart you can look at. All types of resources you can go to regarding the subject on the King James Bible versus the other versions. Look at it. Look at the facts. And, um, you know, before you, you jump up and down and go crazy or whatever about this particular subject, it is that important. It's very important. The Word of God is foundational to our faith. Okay? That word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 11. But if you're hiding a corrupt word in your heart, you think that might affect things? Thy word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. What if the word's been corrupted? Psalm 119, 105. Hmm. 
Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 119 verse 9. How do you cleanse your way if you're taking heed to a corrupt word? These are questions you can ask yourself. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119, I think, verse 89. Hmm, it's crazy. I mean, when you start to think about it, it really is important. Really, really important stuff. Really important stuff. So, if we go further, these, uh, yet these are the manuscripts used for the basis of the modern Bible versions. Daniel details how the thousands of consistent manuscripts in the northern stream were ignored by the translators of the modern Bibles. They had to ignore a lot in order to do this. Okay? The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Where does it say that? Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7. Thou shalt preserve them, O Lord, from this generation forever. God's promised to preserve His word. Okay? We just got to figure out where he's preserved. Has he preserved it in all the hundreds of translations that have spawned from the 1881 corrupt revised version, which is nothing more than a Catholic Bible? A corrupt Catholic Bible? I mean, hey, the Sinaiticus was found in a trash can at the base of a monastery at Mount Sinai. That's why they called the Sinaiticus. It really was found in a trash can. At the base of a, mon- at a monastery at the base of Mount Sinai. I've seen tours of that monastery before on the internet, uh, of actual documentaries of it. They've got whole rooms there of skeletons of the old monks that used to live there. When they die, I don't know what they do, but they find some way of getting all the meat off the bones and bleaching them. And there was whole rooms in that monastery where, this, where the Sinaiticus was found, where they're like chained up. Skeletons, can you imagine skeletons like chained up to the wall? It was as morbid of a place that I had ever seen. The Vaticanus was found in the Vatican. It was so corrupt that nobody even used it for hundreds and hundreds of years. That's why they were so well preserved. Whereas, you know, and that's why they're, they, they say, well, they're older, so they're better. The reason they're older is because nobody would touch them. Even the Catholics. I shouldn't really go down that rabbit trail too far because I've done so many studies on this. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> they use flawed Alexandrian manuscripts that omit important passages and change the actual meaning of others. Daniel has a book, Daniel says a book, answers to your Bible version questions. Now you can get all this on Chick. Some of these books are available to look at online. And this helps you to understand why the KJV is the only Bible in English that you can trust to be God's preserved word. Remember, God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author, and this is confusion. Everything was fine. They had all these revivals and all of these things that had happened with the King James Bible. And all of a sudden these other versions come along. And now we have all of this apostasy, all these cults that start up, all of the, the great falling away that's occurred, really, and it did start around that time in 1881 when that version came out. I don't think it's I don't think it's by any accident. I think that was kind of the start of the Laodicean Church era. 
Okay? I, I mean, I think it's obvious. I think it's very obvious that that's what happened. Let's go to the next article. This is entitled, Congressman Said Send the Jihadists Home. Now, I know I'm really switching gears here. This is current events we're talking about. I'm downshifting, I'm shifting into fourth, I'm back into reverse here. I'm going crazy on this one. But these were articles I couldn't tie in with any one particular thing. So, Congressman Said Send the Jihadists Home. I'm multitasking today. Many examples are emerging demonstrating the vast difference between Western civilization and Islam. Two meatpacking plants in Colorado and Nebraska fired dozens of Muslim workers because they insisted on leaving their workstations to do their five times a day prayers. Oh, they've got to be good Muslims. They might make Allah mad. This shifted the workload to others or required shutdown of the assembly line. The companies tried to adjust break times for the Muslims, but operations were too disrupted and other workers complained that it was not fair. And it's really not. Another struggle is shape, shaping up in schools. At least 17 universities have foot baths installed or under construction. Islam requires foot washing prior to prayers. Gotta get those feet clean for Allah. He don't like stinky feet. He gets really mad over stinky feet. Allah does, the moon god. So you got to be careful. Photo odor is offensive to Allah. So anyway, um, nine universities have prayer rooms for Muslim students only. An elementary school in San Diego, California has approved an extra recess period. So it's nearly 100 Muslim pupils can pray on schedule. Other schools hold Muslims emphasis hold Muslim emphasis sessions where students dress like Muslims and observe Islamic religious rituals. The Muslim Student Association is pushing for these accommodations at taxpayers' expensive course. The MSA was started in 1963 and appears to have hundreds of chapters on university campuses. The name typed into Google got 480,000 hits. Many concerned leaders believe that the Muslim goal is to replace Western government and the judicial systems with Islamic Quran-based Shara law. This is happening now to a certain extent in the UK. Why would you let this happen? It just doesn't compute to me at all. It's a well-known fact that they want to infiltrate all other cultures and assimilate them and force their satanic religion religious views down our throat by force beheading if necessary they're commanded in the Quran to kill us if we do not convert the Quran says to slay all infidels infidels are unbelievers to war with the Christians and the Jews it says to do this my Bible doesn't say to do that But that's what they do. I watched a video the other day of, 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 of these. It was so pitiful and pathetic and made me so righteous and indignant. Remember, remember, the Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. That's probably one of the most hardest things to do in today's day and age, is to be ye angry and sin not. Because this stuff gets you mad when you see it. I can't help it. Um, 
I was watching this video, and it was this demonstration of these Muslims in England. And the streets were filled with Muslims. And they, I mean, these guys look like, you know, they were the type that would strap on the nail bomb and run into the cafe with all the innocent people and pull the cord. I mean, they really looked demon-possessed. You could tell by a countenance on someone's face. And they were chasing the police in the streets. They were marching, but the police were essentially running away from them like a dog with its tail between its legs. And they were cussing at the police. That's why I didn't forward the video. Because it was inappropriate. Because of the, all the language they were using. But they were cussing at the police. It was the most pitiful thing I had seen. And these police were, 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 I mean, pathetic. Totally afraid. Totally terrified. And this is the logical thing that happens when you let them come into your society and you give them an inch and they will take a mile. I view this religion just like Satan. Now, I'm not saying ultimately all false religions are all obviously they're bad, okay? But this particular religion is so hypocritical because they say we're a religion of peace and yet they walk around with their placards that says behead all those who insult Allah or slay the infidels and all these other things. Europe is the cancer, Islam is the answer. I've seen all these things. I got a whole I have a whole PDF just key in Muslim on my keyword search box on my homepage and go to any of those ones where I talk about the Muslim and click on the PDF and you can look at the pictures, you can look at all the stuff. I'm not making this stuff up. The hypocrisy is so unbelievable. We're a religion of peace. You, but we're going to kill you if you don't convert. And it's almost as though England looked like it's been taken total hostage by these people. And they keep wanting to placate them and give them more and more, introducing Sharia law into the judicial system. And, the, and they wonder why these Muslims, it's just never enough. I did a whole teaching on Israel and Gaza and the Muslims, okay? And where we got into the same subject. You can never appease them. Now I understand there's wicked evil factions on both sides of the coin here. Okay, I'm just keen on today where we look at the Muslims here just for a brief moment. Uh, concern is rising in Washington as congressional leaders watch the advance of Islam. Let's see. Representative Tom Tancredo of Colorado introduced a bill severely limiting the encroachment of Islam into the U.S. legal system. Called the Jihad Prevention Act, it would prevent advocates of Islamic law, or Shara, from entering into the country, revoke the visa of any foreigners that champion it, and revoke naturalization for citizens that seek to implement it in the U.S. Tancredo, uh, or Tancredo sees Islamic law as fundamentally hostile to the foundations of Western democracy. The best way to safeguard America against this poisonous ideology is to prevent its purveyors from coming here in the first place. And I agree, you know, with that. The reason for this is the hardline approach is because U.S. churches have failed to reach out to the Muslims who have come here. Well, they may have failed to reach out, but they've also failed to expose the sin. But see, under that 501c3 designation, they're not supposed to be saying anything. You know, they're, not, they're supposed to kind of keep their mouth shut about this stuff. 
Because according to the IRS, all these religions have equal standing. So that's another reason that they don't get into in this thing. In this little article we're reading here. 50 years ago, Islamic leaders feared to allow their people to immigrate here. Listen to this. I thought this was very telling. They knew that the gospel was so much more powerful than Islam. This is 50 years ago. Now, it still is that much more powerful. problem is, is it's not getting preached. But they knew, these Islamic leaders knew, the gospel was so much more powerful than Islam that they would lose their, their Islamic cult followers. Now, in the name of tolerance, diversity, and multi- multiculturalism, we have lost the initiative and their push is on. Rick Warren is at the forefront of this movement in the Christian churches. He's yoking up with the Muslims like you wouldn't believe. Reaching out to them. Common ground. Yeah, common ground, new world order, coming one world religion. <clears throat> now, with millions of Muslims here, it would not, it would, it is not likely that Tancredo's law would be enforceable if it were voted on. The only solution is a revival in the churches and a renewed effort at winning Muslims to Christ. Chick Publication has several books and tracts on Islam to equip soul winners. Paperback books, Christ, Muhammad, and I is one of them. Another one is Who is Allah? And then the other one is Anatomy of the Quran. Again, you go to chick.com, you can go on the left side, and there's a separate section for all things relating to Islam. Click on that, and there's a lot of free stuff you can read as well. Uh, in addition to the PDF that I mentioned that I have online. So you can, these all can give soul winners detailed insight into the soul of the Muslim. Under, in other words, to, to, if you have a burden to witness to these people, you have to understand how they think. You know, to a certain extent, you do. It's part of the homework you you would need to do if you had a burden, a real big burden for that particular religion. Now, remember, we're the body of Christ. Not everybody is called to do the exact same thing. Can the finger say to the eye, depart of me, I have no need of you, as the Bible says? No, but the finger has a totally different function than the eyeball, right? So don't get down if you don't feel like, well, what I'm doing is important. What's important is, are you being faithful with what the Lord has given you. If you're being faithful with what the Lord has given you, remember, he gave to one person one talent, to another person five, and or was it one, two, and five talents. Okay? So not everybody gets the same amount of talents that are given to them by the Lord. Not everybody's put in the exact same position. Uh, but what matters is, is are you faithful with what little or what much that the Lord has given you. Because to whom much is given, much is required. If you're given a lot, then you're, there's a big burden on you to do, um, you, to use what you, you've got more pressure on you, in other words, to, to, to get more done for the Lord. And I'm not saying we're saved by works, okay? I'm not saying that at all. But again, it's, it's being faithful with what the Lord's given you. And, um, you know, that's when the Bible, if you hear, well done, now good and faithful servant, and, and it talks about in that particular parable where the one that was given two talents, he was given two more. And the one that was given five, he was given five more. But the one that had one and went out and buried his talent and didn't do anything with it, he took that talent away from him. And then he said he cast him into prison. You know, not something I want to learn about firsthand. <laughs> I'm afraid of that. Uh, okay, let's fear the Lord. I mean, th- these things are in the Bible. 
to provoke and fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, understanding. But we're only taught, you know, in the modern day lukewarm churches, for the most part, God's the big guy in the sky, the heavenly bellhop, you know, whatever. We just go to him when we need it. People, you know, and how he's always portrayed in, in most of the time when you see him portrayed is people want to get religion when it gets real bad. Oh, in time of trouble, they cry out to God. You know, but I don't know. That, it, it's just it's just crazy the way that the Lord is portrayed um, in the average way it's portrayed in the media and in society and in the movies. So these are just some some uh, things that you can do. There's also some really good tracks Chick makes, uh, including the one is entitled "Allah Had No Son," uh, "Men of Peace," and "Unforgiven." These are tracks that they make that are very good that um, you can use. Next article is entitled "Hindu Militants Offer Two Hundred and Fifty Dollars to Kill a Pastor." I put this out uh, while on my email list. And what this goes on to say is that Hindu militants in the Orissa state of India have mounted a campaign to eliminate as many Christians as possible from their state. Dozens, possibly hundreds, have been murdered, thousands of churches and homes destroyed, tens of thousands of Christians have been left homeless by the destruction. Local police make little effort to protect them or may actually join the persecution. Christians in Orissa claim that pastors have a price on their head. Anyone who kills a pastor is promised the equivalent of a $250 reward. For destroying churches or property belonging to Christians, one can get a chicken, liquor, or weapons. So, see, if you're living in an area where there's no persecution, yet, this is hard to relate to. There's been millions of martyrs just in the last hundreds, hundreds of years. Hundred years. Millions of martyrs worldwide. Christian martyrs that died for their faith. Again, of whom the world was not worthy. That's all I can really say. This is not the only place Christians are suffering. In Iraq, about 20% of the population profess some brand of Christianity under Saddam Hussein. Now, with the government largely controlled by Muslim factions, hundreds of thousands of Christians are being driven out of the country. In most countries in the northern half of the African continent, Muslims are attempting to gain full control, and any who are not Muslim are forced to convert or die for their faith. Now see, this is the logical end of what Muslims do when they take over society. At first they're very subtle, just like their father the devil. And then, what ends, and I'm not saying that none of them can be saved, I'm just saying when they're working on behalf of this religion, they are working for Satan. And then if you go further... You let them in more, they start to implement and change laws, and then it finally gets to a point where they take over. If you let them, give them you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile, and then it's, it gets to a point where you convert or you die. Churches are burned, homes destroyed, pastors executed, women raped, and children kidnapped, and placed in Islamic training schools. Civil wars erupted when non-Muslims attempted to defend themselves. This is the fruit of the Muslim Religion. Again, more fruit we're looking at here. The Hindu persecution is unusual in that most pressures coming from societies where Islam has some dominance. However, in nations where they are a minority, they are, use, they are using legislation, courts, and human rights, and tribunals to discourage Christians from speaking out. 
In the United Nations, a conference of Muslim nations led by Saudi Arabia are pushing a declaration on religious freedom that would make it an offense to blaspheme another religion. It's okay for them to kill these pastors, though. But don't you dare say anything about Allah, the devil moon god. If you don't speak up now, guess what? They take over. Resist the devil and he will flee, as the Bible says. The goal is to criminalize insulting speech or activities. But again, it's okay for them to walk around with placards saying they're going to kill you, but don't you dare say anything against them. Oh, man. Islam's definition of insulting was displayed recently when street riots broke out in Muslim nations over some cartoons published in Europe disparaging Muhammad. Oh, the, that adulterer and pedophile Muhammad, you mean? I'm just saying facts. I'm not, I'm not being slanderous. I'm just speaking a fact. Okay, the Bible says, speak evil of no man. Well, evil and truth are two totally different things. The Bible also says to mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans 16, verse 17 and 18. To reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. To, you know, to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, rebuking some sharply that they may, may be found sound in the faith. There was a lot of times in the Bible where they marked people individually. Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. He named him by name. Turn such an one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that their soul may be saved in the day of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You can read about what context that was in. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Demas has forsaken me for this present world. So... You know, this is just unbelievable what the Muslims get away with. They get away with more, this religion gets away with more than any other religion I see on the planet. As far as the hypocrisy that I see. It's, it's, the Muslims are saying, do as I say, but not as I do. I could do whatever I want to you, Mr. Infidel, but don't you dare say any word disparaging about my religion or my moon god Allah. Christians in so-called democratic nations are not immune. Many have, quote, harmony laws put in place to prosecute violations of civil rights or discrimination. In Singapore, for example, two Bible believers are to stand trial in January for distributing chick tracts presenting the truth to Muslims. They are charged under the Sedition Act for promoting feelings of ill will and hostility between different races or classes of the population in Singapore. Oh, as though the Muslims don't promote hostility. No, they're a religion of peace, of course, I forgot. The two were also charged under the Undesirable Publications Act, which defines objectionable material as an item which depicts race or religion in such a manner that the availability of the publications is likely to cause feelings of enmity, hatred, ill will, or hostility between different racial or religious groups. 
Four charges are placed against the couple. Each can draw a fine up to $5,000 and three years in jail time. Man, that's sick. The U.S. is almost alone in protecting freedom of speech and religious religion against restrictions on biblical truth and gospel witness. Several cases in Canada are being fought against charges of discrimination and hate speech by human rights tribunals. These pseudo-courts are empowered to hear complaints of the offended individuals and even impose fines. The tribunals have, have even showed up in cases in California and New Mexico where Christian businesses have refused service to homosexuals or individuals have distributed literature that someone felt offended by. American culture is rapidly shifting toward tolerance of just about anything but biblical truth. And again, when we see that Barack Obama has usurped Jesus Christ in America as the main hero or whatever they said he was, the most popular figure, how far away can judgment be? As soul winners, we still have a window of freedom to seed the gospel into our communities. But we need to hurry. If we don't wake up enough people to the danger, the window may close. Oh, it will close eventually. You know, the work while it is yet day. The night is coming when no man can work. I must work the works of him that sent me. The night is coming when no man can work. That's what Jesus said. It's true. That's how we, we really should live our lives. We, uh, we, we can't witness verbally to everyone, but we meet, but we can take a few seconds to put a track in their hands and let the Holy Spirit work on their hearts. Uh, let's see here. Next article, entitled, Purgatory is Really Hell. And this is the last, I think this is the last, no, we've got a couple other things. Halloween is, has become a big commercial event in America. But for Roman Catholics, another kind of commerce follows immediately. Technically, October 31st is the hallowed evening before All Saints Day, November 1st, which is the day before All Souls Day, November 2nd, to the Catholics. Of course, a lot of churches celebrate the same thing. Even though Halloween is technically the most highest satanic holiday that there is, it, it is. It's considered Satan's birthday. It is considered the time that the veil between the spirit world is at its thinnest and these spirits can cross over. This is why people wear costumes, originally wore costumes, so that they could frighten these spirits if they got too far out of line. I've done a whole teaching on Halloween. You can keyword search Halloween, where we will give you all the details of that and what Halloween has evolved from, which is the most horrific of things that you could ever imagine, involving human sacrifice in the most horrific way, through burning death. For Catholics, All Saints Day is a feast day, celebrating those who have somehow made it all the way to heaven. Oh boy. In Rome's book, you can't become a saint until you go get to heaven. Wow. Like, they have that right to determine that. Now, I'm looking at a little picture here of Pope and Mary, the, um, they call it the Virgin Mary, she's got a crown on. Mary of the Lords, Lords Idol. Like Lords where they have that water. Of course, Lord Maitreya is taking credit for all the healing waters, just so you know. He's taking credit for everything. But Pope Benedict the 16th declared on 150th anniversary of the apparition of Lourdes 
plenary indulgences, get out of purgatory free, are, are now available to anyone visiting the Lord's Shrine during the following year. So if you go to the Lord's Shrine, you can get a plenary indulgences, and if you bring the, the enclosed coupon, you can also get a foot-long free chili cheese dog to boot. Little, so you can, you know, kind of satisfy your appetites and get that plenary indulgence you've been wanting. And get a free Hulk Hogan commemorative beer koozie for a limited time. Sorry, I lost control there. Uh, anyway, um, so it's set aside to pray for souls who are not yet... Okay, um, back up here. In Rome's book, you can't become a saint until you get to heaven. But All Souls Day is different. It is set aside to pray for those souls who are not yet saints in heaven, but are parked in the prison of fire, partway there called purgatory. And again, not in the Bible anywhere, but, you know, they make up the rules as they go. Because he calls himself, the Pope calls himself the Vicar of Christ. Vicar means substitute. So he's the substitute for Jesus Christ while on this earth. It also serves to remind the family members to pay up for their escape. Purgatory's purpose is to burn away the stains of sins that prevent one from full acceptance into heaven. Rome ignores the biblical teaching that Christ's death is full payment for our sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For you are saved by grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Okay? So, we want to make sure that we, we're, you know, teaching this thing biblically. But, see, Rome ignores this biblical teaching that Christ's death is full payment for our sins. Instead, the popes picked up the pagan notion that we somehow must be punished ourselves to atone for our sins. we got to atone for our own. Because why? Because it's works-based. But the Bible says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, I want to say I got to heaven my way. Well, what you will be able to say is you got to hell your way. You won't be able to say you got to heaven your way. The Roman Catholic can never be sure of heaven. First, he must be born to faith, faithful parents. At birth, baptism is required. Infant baptism. I had a question the other day about that. Well, I got baptized when I was a baby. Is that enough? No, not quite. Baptism is something you do after you get saved. As a Bible-believing Christian. Okay, it's not what saves you, but it is part of proof of that salvation. You have this, you know, it's just one of the the Lord's Supper and Baptism, two of the ordinances that are that are laid down there, but it's not as though these things continually keep you saved. Okay? You're saved by grace, through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt believe that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. So, again, the Catholics want to make it works-based. Always want to make it works-based. Even getting out of purgatory. Uh, <clears throat> going further, at birth, baptism is required, then his conscience must be formed by the catechism that teaches such unbiblical ideas as prayer to the Virgin Mary Goddess, receiving Jesus the way for God at Mass, and confessing sins to God's stand-in, the priest. Now, I've done several teaching on Catholics, just key in C-A-T-H, just part of the word of Catholic, in the search box on my homepage, and it'll... Give you all of them. With Word documents to boot. 
for PDF documents that back it all up. Before death, then last rites must be performed to make sure mortal or big sins are forgiven. The venial little sins may still exist and need to be taken care of by this temporal punishment, such as indulgences, alms, giving up, giving or other acts of penance, left left over, uh, and then any other leftover sins are then burned away through purgatory. I'm I'm sorry, but isn't this insanity? What insanity this is. Incidentally, even the popes do not get a pass. One missionary to Italy recalls that when a pope died, there were posters displayed around town asking the, quote, faithful to pray that his stay in purgatory may be shortened. How sad that after a life of jumping through the pope's hoops, the Roman Catholic ends up in fire and he thinks there's a way out. He's not gonna, he's gonna know though. When he really gets there, he'll know there's no way out. Even more diabolical is what's happening to his family and his friends after he's gone. More jumping through hoops, ultimately jumping through hoops to get to hell. They are told that somehow their good works, paying for masses, buying indulgences, or other good intentions will shorten his stay in purgatory. Not only does his, not only does this bind the faithful Roman Catholics to the church, but it empties their pockets as well. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's an open-ended cash machine because no way has been devised to tell when your loved one escapes the flames. Open-ended deal for Satan. He give give me more money. Well, we don't really know if he's out of purgatory yet. Charles <clears throat> Shinequi, in his book, Fifty Years in the Church of Rome, describes how, when his father died, the local priest demanded payment for mass, masses, to speed him out of purgatory. How sickening. Again, nowhere in the Bible, okay, but again, they just kind of make it up as they go. His widowed mother had no money to give. So the priest demanded she give him the only cow they had. Then the priest led the cow away, eliminating one of the main sources of food for her orphaned children. That's about one of the sickest things I've ever heard. Oh, I hope he felt good leading that cow away. She doesn't even have any food to give her orphaned kids. Oh, that's really the love of God there. What an abomination. Black-robed devils. Rome claims to accept the simple liberty of Christ's atoning work, but then straps its people down with contradictory traditions. And again, they're doing this more and more. I've seen on radio broadcasts, TV, they're coming across like, yeah, we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen this. And there they are standing in their big ornate flowing gowns. All they are in God's eyes are whitened sepulchers full of dead man's bones. They look good on the outside, but inwardly they are ravening wolves with all forms of malignity present. Look at the pedophile pandemic in the Catholic Church. Oh, but we're going to overlook that because they're still men of the cloth. They're men of the devil's cloth. They're of their father the devil and of his works they will do. Pray to God that, that they get saved, okay? 
But most of them aren't. And most of them are going to lead a lot of people to hell. It's just so sick. Rome claims to accept the simple liberty of Christ, but then they strap their people down with contradictory traditions. Like the Pharisees, they have made the commandment of God of none effect with their traditions. Matthew 15, 6. Jack Chick says the new track he's got is called Papa must get into the hands of these people to show them the danger to their eternal destiny. They need to love them enough to show them that Jesus paid the full price. They only need to trust him and they will have everlasting life. Uh, John 3.16. But again, you know, I'm, I'm easy believism I'm not for either. You know, well, bless God, just say this prayer and everything's good. And easy on that, okay? There should be evidence, fruit, conviction. Once you're saved, the Holy Spirit living inside you. It's not just go on and live your life any way you want to live it. Well, I'm saying, well, I covered that base, and I can go live like the devil. When you hand out this track, Papa, now they've got a lot of really good tracks for the Catholics. They got one, Where's Ma- Why is Mary Crying? Talks about Mary. They got one on last, it's called Last Rites, talks about the last rites. They got one on how the Roman Catholic Church was instrumental in attacking the King James Bible when it was in its inception. And I. It's called The Attack. That's a really good one. Now, that's not in print anymore, but you can go look at it online. I don't think it's in print, unless you order like a ton of them. But you can print it out online, and you can send. Here's what you can do. You can take, go up on the internet, find these tracks, and either copy and paste them or send links to your friends with this track link or, or links and ask them if they can refute it. Challenge them. Can you refute this? It's the largest pseudo-Christian cult on the planet. That's what the Catholics are. That's what it is. It is an abomination in the sight of God. I've done several teachings on this. It's, it's just horrific. They try to ride on the coattails of Jesus Christ. For, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. All it is is pure idolatry. There's another uh, track they have called Who is He? Which is good for the Roman Catholics. And they're not familiar... Roman Catholics aren't familiar with Jesus since the Virgin Mary goddess is the main focus of their worship. Now, this next article um, is entitled For Catholics, the door of absolution has been reopened. Oh, good. I'm so glad that, that we're getting this cleared up. This is February 9th of this year. The announcement in church bulletins and on the websites has been greeted with enthusiasm by some of the wariness by others. But mainly it has gone over the heads of the vast generations of Roman Catholics who have no idea what it means when they say Bishop announces plenary indulgences. In recent months, dioceses from around the world have been offering Catholics the spiritual benefit that fell out of favor decades ago. The indulgence, a sort of amnesty from punishment in the afterlife and reminding them of the church's clout in mitigating the wages of sin. What an abomination in the sight of God. The fact that the Catholics under 50 have never sought one and never heard of indulgences except in high school European history. Martin Luther denounced selling them in 1517 while igniting the Protestant Reformation, that simply makes their reintroduction more urgent among church leaders, bent on restoring fading traditions of penance in what they see as a self-satisfied world. 
And then it says, why are we bringing it back? Asked Bishop Nicholas of Brooklyn, who has embraced the move. He says, here's why we're bringing it back. Because there is sin in the world. See, indulgences now pay the sin debt, not the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a liar. What a devil. Money is the real reason, Bishop. Money. Control. Like the Latin Mass and the Meatless Fridays, the indulgence was one of the traditions decoupled from mainstream Catholic practice in the 1960s by the Second Vatican Council. And there's a big push now, and unfortunately Alex Jones is promoting this on his website, which is incomprehensible to me, but saying that, well, the Second Vatican Council was when it all went wrong in the Catholic Church. We need to get back to the true traditions of faith. He's got a big gigantic link on almost all of his web pages that shows this Catholic Church thing, and it says, oh, I forget what it says, something about the true church. And in that link, if you click on it, it will totally 100% tell you that the Catholic Church is the only way to salvation. That and it's been up there. A lot of people have wrote them. I've got I've seen no responses. I've seen no nothing. So Alex is doing his part to take people to hell. Oh, he's warning everybody. What is it going to what good is it going to do if we warn everybody and they wind up in hell? Warn them about the new world order. Warn them about this. Put the fear of man in them. Yes, I understand it's good to know the devices of Satan. But tell them the solution. Don't just don't just say, "Okay, we got to do this and we got to do that." Don't emphasize Jesus Christ at all. Don't don't emphasize putting our total faith and trust in him. Don't emphasize living a godly life and hiding the word of God in our heart. Confessing our sins to God. Getting saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't emphasize that. No. No, emphasize the fear of man. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Now he's promoting the Catholic Church. And one of the ways they're doing it is by saying, oh, Second Vatican Council is no good. We need to go back to the old ways of the Catholic Church. Oh, what do you mean like when they used to, like the Spanish Inquisition? where they killed millions and millions and millions of Christians and tortured them, all in the name of God? He's the one doing it, not me. So anyway, the, uh, the indulgence was one of the tra traditions decoupled from mainstream Catholic practice in the 1960s by Second Vatican Council, the gathering of bishops that set a new tone of simplicity and informality for the church. Its revival has been viewed as part of a conservative resurgence that has brought some quiet changes and some highly controversial ones, like Pope Benedict XVI's recent decision to lift the excommunications of four schismatic bishops who reject the council's forms. The indulgence is among the less noted and less disputed. Why? Why is it less disputed? Because the word of God means nothing to the Catholic hierarchy. It means nothing. But with a thousand year history and volumes of church law devoted to its intricacies, it is one of the most complicated to explain. According to church teaching, even after sinners are absolved in the confessional, that's where you go and you confess your sins to a black-robed devil. And again, all this is is an is a informant system. They know all about you. They know your sins. And they can hold it over you as well. They know all kinds of stuff. Totally un, unbiblical. 
Bible says confess your faults one to another. It doesn't talk about getting into the gory details of every sin you've ever committed. I don't believe that's biblical. Getting into the gory details then invokes images in your mind. That's not a good thing. Confess your faults one toward another. But it doesn't talk anywhere about going to some black robe devil at some Catholic church and, and pouring out so he can give you, prescribe you your penance and your 50 Hail Marys and everything's good. Where does the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ enter into that equation that paid our sin debt? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. We go to Jesus Christ. We don't go to Mary or some Catholic devil. Mary, or, or we, we go to Jesus Christ. But they want to keep you away from Jesus Christ because they're of their father, the devil. So, if we go further, according to church teaching, even after sinners are absolved in the confessional and say there are fathers and Hail Marys as penance, they still face punishment after death in purgatory before they can enter into heaven. And it's kind of like deep down they know nothing they could do could ever truly pay their sin debt. Isn't that how they're acting? Nothing, even the popes have to suffer in purgatory. They know deep down that what they're doing could never pay their sin debt. It's almost like they're admitting that by their own action. I thought that was kind of interesting if you think about that. In exchange for certain prayers, devotions, or pilgrimages in special years, a Catholic can receive an indulgence. Certain prayers, devotions, and pilgrimages in special years? It's got to be the special years, you know. Probably in co coincidence with some type of occult belief system. This reduces or erases the punishment instantly. With no formal ceremony or sacrament. What an insult and abomination of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are partial indulgences which reduce purgatorial time by a certain number of days or years. Now, remember, this article that I'm reading you is from, this isn't from Chick, this is from um, the New York Times. Okay? And it shows a picture of George Bush Jr. at Our Lady of Queen, Our Lady of Queen of Martyrs Church in Queens. Oh, how catchy that is. That's a, there's a picture of him in that particular mode. Uh, there are partial indulgences which reduce purgatorial time by a certain number of days or years, and then the plenary indulgences which eliminate all of it until another sin is committed. You can The Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. I mean... It's just unbelievable. Then it says, you can get one for yourself or for someone else who is dead. You can buy them for someone else. It's like a buy one, get one for... What is this? You cannot buy one, the church... You cannot buy one, the church outlawed the sale of indulgences in 1567. I'm trying to see what point they're getting to. You can't buy, but you can earn one. These are the these are the special kind of plenary indulgences that you can't buy, I guess. Okay, the church outlawed their sales of these types in 1567, but charitable contributions combined with other acts can help you earn one. 
It's, to me, that's still buying one. There is a limit of one plenary indulgence per sinner per day. Again, doesn't this sound like one of those, you know, infomercials? Doesn't it? I mean, you know, you can. There is a limit of one plenary indulgence per sinner per day. Order now and get your your signet of admit with your Ronco stun gun, stud gun, and your chia herb garden. I mean, this is so unbelievable. This year's offer, this year's offer has been energetically promoted in places like Washington, Pittsburgh, Portland, Oregon, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. Offer. Order now. Supplies limited. Act while supplies last. I mean, you know, it reminds me of one of those infomercials with the guy with the crazy voice. Hey. Uh, this is just so unbelievable. It appeared prominently on the website of the Diocese of Brooklyn that announced that any Catholic could receive an indulgence at any of the six churches on any day or at dozens more on specific days by fulfilling the basic requirements going to confession, receiving Holy Communion, saying a prayer for the Pope, and achieving complete detachment from any inclination to sin. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're going to be able to do that on your own. I have detached myself from any inclination to sin. I am above good and evil. I have transcended. I am a god. I mean, give me a break. That's what they're acting like. But the adjacent archdiocese of New York, indulgences are available at only one church. So, you know, they're in a they're in a bad position there. The indulgences are only available at one church at this adjacent archdiocese of New York. And the archdiocesan website makes no mention of them. Cardinal Edward Egan encourages all people to receive the blessings of indulgences, said his spokesman, Joseph Zwilling, who said he was unaware that the offer was not on the website. But he'd soon have it posted. He wants to get it up there. You know. Again, hopefully they'll have some type of coupon that you can receive like a free foot-long chili cheese dog if you order in the next ten minutes while supplies last. I mean, you know. Why not really, you know, come on. Then he says, confessions have been down for years. And the church is very worried about it. Well, they, can't, they don't have that intelligence gathering network like they had at one time. Said Reverend Tom Reese, a Jesuit, I mean, you talk about evil, a Jesuit and former editor of the Catholic magazine America. I mean, what's the world coming to? Confessions are down. You know, people are falling away from the Catholic Church. Terrible. In a secularized culture of pop psychology and self-help, he said, the church wants the idea of personal sin back in the equation. The only reason they want that idea back in the equation is so they can control you and beat you down. Yes, personal sin should be back in the equation, but not for the reasons they want. Indulgences are a way of reminding people of the importance of penance. Going to the next article and the last thing. Uh, after Catholics, the people most expert on the topic are probably Lutherans. This is on the subject of indulgences. They're probably the most second highest experts, Lutherans whose church was born from the schism over indulgences, and whose leaders have met regularly with Vatican officials since the 1960s in an effort to mend their differences. Remember, Martin Luther, 
the Protestant Reformation, why they call it Protestant, because they were protesting what was going on in the Catholic Church. There's a lot of denominations that spawned from that. And now the Mother Church, which is the Catholic Church, is saying to them, come back under the fold. My long-lost loved ones, come back. The Mother Church is saying that. So they meet, they meet, you know, together to try to iron out their differences. And they, again, this is going to all happen. This is going to happen. Can a clean thing come out of an unclean thing? That's what the Bible, that, that's the question Job poses in Job 14.4. Can a clean thing come out of an unclean thing? Something to think about regarding these denominations that have come out of the Catholic Church. Now they're all 501c3 corporations. I mean, I don't know a lot of Lutheran churches or a lot of these supposed Protestant churches you can go into and actually get saved. I'm not saying it can't be done, but the deck's stacked against you pretty much. I mean, if you look at that whole thing, uh, the Lutherans go on to say, this is from Dr. Reverend. Now, I've done a whole teaching on Reverend, the title. It's unbiblical for a man to take on that title. Holy and Reverend as he is only places referred to in the Bible. <sighs> reverend. I, I won't call somebody Reverend. I'm sorry, I won't do it. Medic, I saw a guy the other day that I had known from before, and, he, and I didn't recognize him at first. He said, hey, it's Reverend Dan. I, can't, I couldn't call him Reverend. I couldn't do it. Nice guy. Nice guy. There ain't no way I'm calling him Reverend, though. But Reverend Michael, Reverend Doctor, I wish it was Reverend Doctor Professor. Reverend Dr. Professor Michael Root, Dean of Lutheran Theological Southern Seminary at Southern Columbia, South Carolina. Now, can you see how pride would well up in something? I'm the Reverend Doctor, Dean, Reverend Doctor. You like, you know, he's got so many, he's got more degrees than a thermometer. You know, in front of his name. But this is the thing. Pride, pride goeth before a fall, and a haughty spirit before destruction. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You gotta be real careful with that pride thing. I'm a doctor. Well, you know, it would be easy for me to let pride well up. I'm not saying that, 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 you know, this is something we all have to be on guard for. But you can see how much more easily it would happen to somebody at that level. But he says this indulgent thing, it has been something of a mystery to us as to us as to why now? Why are they bringing these back, I guess? The renewal of indulgence, since he said, is not advanced the dialogue. In other words, it hasn't advanced their dialogue between the Lutherans and the Catholics. There shouldn't be any dialogue if the Lutherans were of God. There shouldn't be any dialogue. None. Our main problem has always been the question of quantifying God's blessing, Dr. Root said. Lutherans believe that divine forgiveness is a given, but not something people can influence. It's not a given apart from salvation and the blood and the shed blood of Jesus Christ and our confession of those sins. Not a given, but that's what he says. It's just a given. He's just a God of love. So you can see, they've, they've got their doctrines of devils too. 
It's just a different flavor of doctrines of devils. Uh, if we go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 11. 9 through 11. see here. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Okay. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's how we're sanctified, justified, and washed. Okay? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way. Not through the Catholic Church. Not through the Lutherans. And then it goes on in verse 12. It says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And again, we get into the, should we sin that grace may be abound, just because we have this liberty in Christ. Uh, Revelation 1.5. Revelation 1.5. Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. See, that's how we get washed from sin. In the blood of Jesus Christ. Not through some jumping through all these hoops of all these religions. The gospel is simple. The, word of, the, the prophecies of God are of no private interpretation. I get emails from all the time. These people email me about some fringe doctrine that they believe God's shown them. And they, they look at one little verse like most cult people do, and they want to take that verse out of context and not look at it in light of all the scriptures. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy 2.15 Rightly dividing the word of truth. Look at it in the full context of the Bible. That's how cults get started, right there. It's exactly how cults get started. Hebrews 13.12 We're almost done here. Hebrews 13.12 Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. What does the word sanctify mean? To be made holy and set apart. We're sanctified through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.13 Let's go to that. Ephesians 2.13. I'm just trying to drive this point home to debunk. If you had any doubts about indulgent, you know, how are we justified? How are we sanctified? How are we cleansed? How are we washed? It's so simple. But these religions all want to complicate it. Bring you into bondage. Take you to hell is what it boils down to. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I love you enough to tell you, don't follow me. Follow the word of God. Here, again, 
Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, meaning the word, the word nigh means you're, you're made near by the blood of Christ. Awesome. Praise the Lord. These verses should be encouraging to you. Man, if I was caught in this Catholic thing, I'd be, oh man, what, how discouraging. You gotta do this, you gotta do that. It's terrible. We're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. 1 John 1, 7 through 10. This is the last one. 1 John 1, 7 through 10. First John 1, 7 through 10. Okay, so, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Okay, as Jesus Christ is in the light, if we walk in light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's what cleanses us from sin. Not all this other Catholic rigmarole. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It says, if we confess our sins. Well, if, you, if you're going around and you're living like the devil, and you don't even confess your sins, and you don't have any conviction of that, there's a good chance you're not saved. You should have that desire, conviction, chasing of the Lord on you. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. You're still going to battle the flesh to the day you die. Okay? Doesn't mean give us a license to sin. We don't sin that grace may be abound. We don't use our liberty for an occasion of the flesh. We have to have this in the right order though. It's very important. So that's all we're going to do for today, and I know I went over on this teaching, I apologize for that, but I didn't want to do another 10 minute teaching to, for a part 2 on this. So um, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, Lord God, letting us come together another time, do another teaching. I pray God your, your word and your truth would go forth with power and might and boldness, and that you would use these teachings to lead many people to the Lord, that many would turn to righteousness, that your name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father God, would, they would be glorified. That your fear would be upon the unsaved, and even on the body of Christ, upon my listeners, that you would bless them, Lord, and that you would use us mightily in the days to come, that you would wake us up, and that, Lord God, we would have the fear of God, not the fear of man upon us. <clears throat> and... We just praise you, Lord. We thank you. I pray you forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form. That they would not have dominion over us, Lord. You would cleanse us from secret sins and presumptuous faults. And that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Our strength and our redeemer. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.